There are three things all wise men fear. The sea in storm, a night with no moon, and the anger of a gentle man. Patrick Rothfuss. The Dragon Pod from Bending Not Breaking. Book Five, Ocean, Chapter Seven, Sea Legs. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Dragon Pod. This is your host, Ben Pruitt, and we are on the last third of this season five. I can't believe there's only two seasons left after this. It's going by so quickly. We just had our five-year anniversary. There's just all kinds of cool things happening here. And I am really excited to talk about this episode because we have a guest today that is new to the podcast, and I am thrilled to welcome them. So let me introduce you all to Nasus Lee uses she, her pronouns, and is a professional animator by day, a professional doodler by night, and Nasus is a big fan of painting and eating and sometimes at the same time. And you'll all be thrilled to know that she is an animation supervisor for The Dragon Prince and had a lot to do with the production of today's episode. So everyone join me in welcoming Nasus. Nasus, how are you today? Hi, I'm pretty good. How are you? You know, I'm good. I got a little exercise today. Got to play some disc golf. I've been writing a very large paper for class, but that's okay. I'm just putting that aside. We're <laughs> going to get <laughs> to that later. It'll be fine. Um, but overall, pretty good. Um, nice. What's uh, what's going on with you in terms of what, like, I don't know very much about you. So what does a, a typical day look like for you? Yeah, um, we wake up make some coffee, nice. pet my cat. Um, and then depending on the day, I'll uh, draw, go to the gym, hang out with some friends. I love going to coffee shops and things like that. So it's nice to explore the city. Yeah. So what city do you hail from? Uh, I live in Vancouver, BC, okay. Canada. Love it. Yeah, I have never been. It is on my list, partially because I've interviewed so many people from the Dragon Prince that are located there that I feel like I should go. Oh, uh, it's beautiful. It's so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Are you a big skier? I know that that's pretty hype up there, if I believe if I'm right. Um, yeah, it is. Um, Vancouver's great for so many different outdoor activities. There's water activities, there's snow activities, summer hiking, everything. Um there's so much nature in Vancouver, but it's also so close to the city. So it's a nice balance. Um, I'm not particularly good with skiing and sports, but I like walking in nature a lot. And Vancouver has pretty good tame weather compared to the rest of Canada. So it's nice. Yeah, I I am similar. I am not a big sporty person, but I like being outside. I guess, I mean, there's a few. I like tennis. I like, you know, there's a few things, but. Generally speaking, I, I tend to stick to the hiking as well. Yeah. And so are you, when you go to the coffee shop, what's your coffee order? Are you a uh, black coffee? Do you like, what? what's your coffee order? I'm a iced oat milk latte. Ooh. All right. Even, do you get the iced 
even in winter or all year round <laughs> all year round awesome well that makes it consistent it feels like you can get you know it's nice to have something that you can get whenever and feel like you don't have to change your order yeah and i think most coffee shops make it pretty good it's not too complicated so i always get what i want oh that's a good point like it's it's yeah. this enough to where you can get it to whatever coffee that's a good point exactly yeah, yeah. that's fair amazing okay so we hear that you like, are you, do you prefer to doodle and draw at home or do you like to draw out in the wild at these coffee shops or elsewhere? Um, a bit of both, um, mostly at home. Um, I got a, I invested in an iPad like beginning of pandemic or just before pandemic and it's a game changer. I draw everywhere, but mostly at home. Um, I will sometimes go to cafes with friends and we'll just have a drawing session for the afternoon and it's super fun oh that sounds cathartic to do with you know I usually think of drawing and art as a solo practice but every time I hear of people who do it in community I'm like that sounds really lovely I like you know just um even as it's introspective doing that with someone else is still very enticing for me as a as a thought Oh, yeah, it's great. It's a great pastime that my friends and I do. We're all in the animation industry and we all love art. So we draw, we bounce ideas off of each other. We have good food and good company. You know, great. That sounds really nice. <laughs> now I'm jealous. This sounds amazing. Hey, come join me anytime. <laughs> yeah, I, my... I am typically my 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 art. I use quotes here. I am a, more of a musician. Um, and so I'm going to have to be like, okay, I'm just going to come play piano next to y'all. <laughs> oh, that sounds so nice. A little background music. Yeah. We'll have a, a, a whole group. I'm sure soon after we, <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you're listening and you want to join the crew, let us know. Yes. Join us. <laughs> we can all come to Vancouver and, and hang out. Amazing. Okay. So we've gotten to know you as Nasus the person. Tell me about Nasus the animation supervisor. I'm I'm curious, how did you get involved with the Dragon Prince? Yeah, um, so this goes way back. Um, I worked at Bardell previously with a bunch of people on a different project. Um, and then when Dragon Prince started back in season one, um Carlisle was the animation director there along with Maru but I worked with Carlisle previously and he reached out and he was like hey we got this really cool project coming up do you want to you want to come work with a bunch of our old crew and I immediately I loved the crew so much um so of course I joined um and yeah I started all the way from season one as just a regular animator um and I worked my way up to season three still as an animator but I worked really hard and I I really wanted to do a leadership role of some kind um and then you know there was a big break um and then maru the other animation director reached out to me actually around the time that i was losing my job at the time um and he was like hey we have a supervisor role are you interested in coming back and i was like have this is fate yeah i i was so excited um so i said yes of course um uh, but i was very new to supervising i'd only supervised on a previous show for a couple months so i was really really scared and really nervous dragon prince is so dear to my heart and it's mm. 
so well written. The fans are incredible and I just didn't want to disappoint. So I was really nervous. I wanted to do a really good job. Um, and I think I did okay. I, it was really fun. I learned so much. The team was fantastic. Um, and I grew so much just as a, a leader, as an artist and everything. It was really fun. Yeah, that's so amazing. I, you know, I, it's an interesting pathway to think about in terms of leadership in any area, I think, because just because you have the skills as the base job, I'm going to use that in quotes too. Uh, so as an animator, supervising animators doesn't use the same skills, right? It uses different skills. Yeah. And that's the same for any profession, right? If you're a teacher, you know, supervising a group of teachers and leading a group of teachers is very different than teaching a classroom or any, again, pick the industry. Um, and it's really neat to hear that they saw in you this leadership potential in addition to your artistic talent. And so I'm just kind of feeling all the warm fuzzies to, to imagine what it feels like to be reached out to in that event that's uh, I'm like yay it's amazing yeah it was it honestly it was a dream come true I I remember season one like our first episode that I worked on um I was just like enamored I was like this is the coolest show ever the writers are fantastic the directors are fantastic the the characters look so cool everything was just like I was like this is the coolest show ever I can't believe I'm even a part of it and the fact that I get to supervise as well I was like this is incredible it's such a great experience um definitely a core memory of mine for sure to be on this show yeah no I mean I that's I can't imagine having being able to just witness it unfold over the past five years you know I'm just I'm I'm so grateful that you've you had that experience and you continue to have it that's amazing I want to kind of point us now towards even more specificity here. We've kind of been talking about you and the Dragon Prince at large. Uh, I want to talk about you and the Dragon Prince in this episode. Um, you are kind of our, our primal source for um, this episode of the podcast and for this episode of the show. So I, I'm curious, like what you, you, you mentioned that you were the animation supervisor in particular for this episode. I'm, I'm curious what does behind the scenes look like for an animation supervisor? What do you, what, what are the actual job responsibilities? Cause I, I can like imagine or, you know, make things up of what I think you do, but I have really no idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I ran a team of about, um, I think it was like eight people. Um, four of them were in house and four of them were overseas. Um, so that was very interesting. It was the first time I'd, I'd gotten to do that. Um, and then what I do is I get a list of all the shots in the episode and I cast it out. So basically I assign each animator based on their skill level, um, their um, what they requested, um, and basically try to make it as fair as possible for the amount of time that we have to do an episode. And that's sort of their quota for this episode. Um, and then we go into layout first. Um, and my job for layout is basically to make sure that the cameras are correct, um, things are hooking up correctly, we have the right characters in the right space. Um, I have to keep in mind 
like lighting. So we have to make sure that the characters are in the right sets and everything like that. We got to make sure that all the characters are correct and they got their right outfits on. Um, so there's a lot of things that I have to keep track of. Um, and on yeah. top of that, whenever an animator finishes a shot, they'll submit it. And then I do a round of notes. So I'm like, hey, this pose doesn't look good. Or can we try this instead? Let's do this acting choice, things like that. Yeah. Um, and then and then we deliver a layout and we get some notes from the clients. Um, and then we do a round of animation. So we have two rounds of animation. Um, we have it's called primary and secondary. So primary would be the base action. Um, just making sure we get the idea across um, and that the clients are going to like the ideas that we have. Um, yeah. We get storyboards to follow. Um, but the clients have been really great and allowing us to be a little more free with our ideas as well. Um, so that's really liberating to do. Um, and then we go through secondary and secondary is all the polish, making it look really pretty, animating the hair, the tassels, the clothing, whatever dangly extra bits on the characters. Um, and then we just submit it. Um, so that's really cool. And I also do a round of notes every time we submit to the clients, just to make sure that the clients are getting the best quality that we can produce. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm surprised that there's only two rounds or, or if I expected more, I think I might've expected more. Um, but it kind of makes sense with all the, it sounds like you're getting a lot of notes in between all of those, those two submissions. So lots of, lots of corrective feedback and making sure everything's right. And I'm, I'm hearing this responsibility for continuity between scenes and things along those lines, lots of really cool, cool things happening. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's cool because as we go, um, I'm learning a lot about the show and what the uh, what the clients want and I was remembering a lot about what season one two and three what the clients wanted um, yeah. and that helped me a lot specifically there weren't too many um, original crew that came back for season four and five um, so some of us that were from season one two and three had a bit of an advantage in the sense that they they already knew what the clients were looking for. They knew what was on style and not on style because Dragon Prince is not very cartoony. Um, and yeah. some animators love cartoony animations. Sometimes we have to dial that back a little just for show style, um, get more realistic acting. Yeah, that makes sense. When you say the client, I'm uh, I just to clarify, is this the writing team? Is this like who are the clients so to speak totally um so a lot of it goes through a lot of different people um on the bardell side um my direct my animation director was maru and chad um and then there was also george um and then on the wonderstorm side um i believe it went through vila um yeah and then um justin and aaron as well i think at the end i don't I can't quite remember if they watched every pass from us. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes the writers also had some notes as well, which was nice. Um, just gives us a little bit of background story of, you know, they're writing it. They know the background of everything and we're yeah. just animating it. So it's nice to have that insight as well. Nice. 
Amazing. Yeah. I mean, just, it's so interesting to see who has their hands on what, right. And how, cause I, I hear from so many people, whether it's the voice actors, the writing team, um, even from Justin and Aaron and Vilas who talk about how the dragon prince is especially collaborative as a, uh, in, in the process of creating the show. Um, so it's just interesting to hear who has a, a little hand in, in everything. And so, yeah, it's very neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And every every project and every show is different. Um, but I did like how Dragon Prince was run. I thought it was very collaborative, which was nice. Yeah. Amazing. Well, let's let's uh start gearing towards more what we're gonna be talking about later today. I we are talking about episode seven, Sea Legs. And we were kind of I was I offered to you uh, the idea of thinking of a lens for this episode. And I had listed some potential options um, out of ones that we like could exist. And um, I mentioned fear as an example. And you were like, actually, that's really apt for this episode. And I'm curious, why fear? Why is this lens the one that you you chose? Yeah, Um this episode has fear everywhere from the bait wings to um, Callum and everyone on Ruthless. Um, and then there's Kimdale, the Blood Moon Huntress, who is one of my favorite characters. Um, she's, she's just fear. Like she exudes so much scariness, you know? So it, I thought fear was great for this episode. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of dive in and kind of parse out what is the root of the fear for so many of these things? And I, I think we'll be able to to dive in, but make, let's make sure we're on the same page. I'm, I'm curious if you can help me understand fear from your perspective. And so is there a time in your life that you have felt fear or you have observed fear even um, so that we can kind of uh, learn a little bit more about what fear is? Yeah. Um, I have my whole life, um, I, I deal with a lot of anxiety. And so with anxiety comes fear all the time. And it could be anything from really big to really small. Um, so that's something that I just struggle with in general in life. Um, and I think that anxiety is something that everyone goes through at some point in time in their life. Um, but for me, um, everything. <laughs> I am a very scared person, but I try really hard to be as brave as I can. Um, and anxiety for me is something that I struggle with. So I think even just, I know I, it's very personal, but even like just being on this show as a supervisor, I was so scared because this was, this show has such a big caliber and the fans are so big. Um, and I feel like I've talked to some of the fans and they're just so, um, so into the show and I wanted to do a good job. Um, and also this was a big turning point in my career. Um, and my career is really important to me. I work really hard. Um, and so I just wanted to do a good job. And then there's also this fear that, um, you know, there's a whole team relying on me. Um, and, you know, I, I want to make sure that they can do the best that they can. And I feel like if, something bad happens it's on me and um you know 
to some people that's normal that's just the job um but for me it it can be consuming um with anxiety so that's something that i struggle with on the day to day and just to make sure i'm on the same page i i'm hearing from you and tell me if this is completely way off i'm i'm hearing that the the fear is the what's what is let me rather than guess what is the story that's kind of going through your head when you um imagine what might go wrong like where is the what is the 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 story you're telling yourself that is leading to the anxiety and fear does that make sense yeah yeah totally um I I usually start with one thing and then it kind of spirals so um like if we if we are near a deadline and we're pretty behind like that's on me and that I don't want to fail I don't want to fail myself I don't want to fail my team um (laughs) the project and just the fear of failure is quite scary for me um and I I like doing a good job I like making sure that everything I do um is the best that I can produce um whether it is animation supervising or even just my art or literally anything in my life um I think that fear of failure is very looming on me. Um, so that's sort of what I go through. And, you know, I know that it sounds sometimes some people are like, oh, it's okay to fail. Um, but it's just something that I deal with. And I think everyone has something that they deal with that might be small for other people and really big for them. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting too, because it's one thing to say, like, yeah, just fail. It'll be okay. Um, <laughs> right. And I think that for some people over time, that is something that can become more innocuous, but also there, that is, not, that's just not true for everybody. And I totally understand. And I think it's a very accessible to uh, to our listeners. I think that's a very accessible and relatable experience that you're telling and sharing is that that there are things that we're scared of where if we fail that will lead we think to people thinking differently about us it will lead to maybe a lack of job security maybe it will lead to in in the stories start with I might fail but then that failure means so much and that's that failure turns into something so different depending upon our unique situation. What does that failure really mean to Callum? What does it mean to Rayla versus what does it mean to you, Nasus? Right. And so we all have this different experience. And I think that's really helpful as we kind of begin to parse out and lean into the episode. Um, that gives us a good starting point to ask the same question like, okay, this is scary for this character, but. Where is that coming from? What can we imagine is the story they're telling themselves? Um, yeah, thank you so much for your for your vulnerability and willing to to kind of share that. I um I very much relate. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big believer on healthy mental health, and so that's yeah, that's totally like um, my art and drawings helped me a lot with my anxiety um and it helps I've gotten messages of other people being like you know your art really brings me calmness and I think that that's so important just to find that little peace in this chaotic world 
Yeah, that's kind of poetic, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean it is, and I'm I'm here for it. So that's awesome. Okay, so before we dive into the to the episode and 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 learn more about fear and what it does. Uh, I want to remind our listeners of what happened in the episode. And this is, of course, our chance for a 30-second recap of the episode. Um, so, Nasus, would you like to go first or second for this 30-second recap? Yeah, um, I'll go first. Amazing. Uh, I can count you in uh, whenever you're ready. Cool, I'm ready. All right. 30 seconds on the clock. Three, two, one one action oh so yeah this this episode's full of action a lot of fighting a lot of water um we officially get introduced to all the baitlings sneasel jellybug and hats um and then we get this really epic fight with janai and kimdale and kimdale infiltrating the fire elves um so it's really cool very exciting and um a lot of action and also we get to see um sea leg in action so that's that's my time. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, that was amazing. All right. Uh, if you'll do me the honors, I, I'll time it, but you can count me in. Yeah, sounds good. All right, you ready? I'm going to do my best. Two, one, go. All right. So Ezrin wakes up to these cute little baitlings, and then Nyx and Vilas are debating about captainship. And then, you know, Kimmy Girl is sneaking by the guards, and then Callum blows too hard. And then Soren and Zim save Hat. And then Kim drinks blood and then kills people. And then Garlath teeth. And then Janai fights Kimmy. And then they get captured. And then Sea Legs catches the Ruthless because legs. And then Finnegan gets. To like special use for the boy. And then Amaya and Corvus are alive and learned Janai is gone. 30 seconds. Wow, that was so much more detailed. I love that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we all, we, everybody like sees different things and pays attention to like, you know, every, it just, it just happens that way. Um, You're good at that. <laughs> thank you. I have been honing this skill for, for five years. <laughs> um. Amazing. Okay, that brings us to the 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 big discussion um, where we get to talk about fear in the episode. And so I'm going to cost it straight to you. What is a moment that you want to kind of talk about it, regarding fear in in this episode? Yeah. Ooh, there's so many. Um, I think the biggest one that was the, the of this episode in the sense that um, I don't know if you've read the graphic novels of Dragon Prince but there was one released about the Blood Moon Huntress and she looked just so cool and I had read that one before getting this episode and I was like oh when we get this episode I want to make sure it's the greatest episode it's, she's just too cool to not do justice um, so that was a big fear and the other big fear was that Vilas um is a big sailor like in real life um and so there was a lot of pressure on us to make sure that all the sailing terms were correct um that we were using the sails correctly um so i did so many hours of sailing research and watching sailing videos wow. to make sure it was accurate to the sailor community you know um so that was really really intense and very scary and you know i think we did a good job we last really liked the episode so 
that was a big fear of mine. I think that's, it's important to make sure that things are accurate. Yeah, no, this is really interesting to think about from uh, this meta perspective around the fear that you experienced in the making of the episode. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think not only is Kim Dial like a scary character, right? But also mm-hmm. honoring the image that has been created of her, making sure that we are, you know, doing right by her scariness in a way right um that's super neat yeah and then with with Vilas too you know I'm I'm hopeful that we get to hear from Vilas this this season we might have just I'm recording this episode before um the previous episode so everybody you're hearing a meta conversation here Uh, (laughs) and so I'm I'm hopeful that you will have heard last episode from Vilas but if not uh you got to hear from me and that's super cool. Um, yeah, amazing. I, I think that I want to dive in and if I can take your lead here, um, you you mentioned Kim Dial first and I, I want to kind of lean into this idea of um, why she's scary. And it, it feels for me like the the fear of her kind of stems from this fear of the unknown um because most of the people who encounter her in the episode especially early on they see her they see something run by and they see footprints but they don't see her and so what it does is it creates this fear of the unknown almost um Right? Does that make sense? Is that on par? Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like in a horror film. It's like the anticipation before you see the actual monster. Yeah, you just know that there's something there. You can't picture it. You don't know what it looks like, and it's it's scary. It's the anticipation of not knowing anything anything about it. It's it's kind yeah. of cool. I think they they did a really good job of that. Well, and it's interesting too because even the writing kind of leads us to what happens when we are are scared because something's happening but we don't know what it is and i'm not saying that ghosts don't exist if you believe that but in this show they turn to ghosts to just to explain what's going on right yeah Uh, yeah is it a ghost Ah! and i think oftentimes people in in real life will do something similar if you can't explain it you attempt to explain it using uh, a a fear-inducing thing like ghosts. Um, like you could just say, oh, no, it was just the wind, which some people do. But then it's like, oh, it was a ghost. Um, and that's what happens in this episode. And I'm curious, not because I'm scared of ghosts, but because I'm I'm interested in why we attempt to explain it with something that most of the time people don't actually buy into that as a description yeah Um, I'm curious about that and I don't have an answer I'm not but I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are um I mean yeah I don't have a full answer either I think for me specifically um if you can put um an idea or a solid 
visual of something, then it seems less scary. And I think it sort of um, calms you a little bit if you're like, oh, I don't know what that is. Because I think the unknown is scarier than the known. So if you're like, oh, it's, it's the wind or something, then it's like, okay, that's okay. It's justified. It's not scary. Or even if you're like, it's a ghost, then it's like, okay, well, ghosts don't really, if that's what you believe, like ghosts don't really exist, then, yeah. then it's okay, you know. But if you don't know what it is at all, it could be anything that's almost, that's scarier, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's the common, there's a common phrase of the, you choose the devil you know over the devil you don't. Mm -hmm. And it feels like that's kind of an expression of, of fear, right? I'd rather choose this thing that is a known capacity, even though I know it's bad, than the, the fear of what could be and what might go wrong, right? Um, if it were something else, um, which is really interesting because I, I think that leads more to this, this fear of, well, our, like our imagination is so much worse usually than, than reality. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think your, your story earlier really spoke to that, right? And I don't mean to undermine anyone's anxiety, but I, I think often when we feel anxious, and I say we because I certainly experience anxiety as well, I think often our stories are so much worse than what actually might happen. Um is that your experience too? If you were if as you look in hindsight, maybe, is that is that true for you or is that just for me oh yeah no totally I I always hype up my fear and anxiety way more than in reality it's it's difficult sometimes to ground yourself when you're in that moment because the biggest thing right now in your brain is your anxiety of whatever is causing that and yeah. it's harder to take a step back um and that's, that's definitely something I'm working on is just taking a step back and trying to see it from not my scared point of view, but just a more logical point of view. And that can help ground me a little bit. Um, yeah, when you're in it, that's it's all consuming. Yeah. And the like the stories that we tell are have a huge impact on our experience of the world. Shocker. Um, but, you know, I'm so I'm learning to become a therapist and I am currently practicing and, and seeing clients and being supervised. But one of the things that we talk about is how, uh, you know, our thoughts impact our behaviors, impact our emotions, and vice versa for all of those things. And when we have thoughts that are, uh, if I do this, then I will fail. And if I fail, that means this. It leads down this sequential thought pattern that creates anxiety. And then we feel the emotion and the experience of anxiety. And that leads us to do certain behaviors like, nope, can't go out or nope, have to work three times harder than I should. Or in, in it's a weird cycle because then when I do that and do those behaviors, it leads to more thoughts. Uh, and so it's this weird downward spiral that we experience um, that kind of is rooted in fear, right? Yeah, totally. And so 
I don't know. I wonder for you, is there an example in this episode? And I'm I'm not I don't have anyone in mind, but is there an example of a character in this show that does a good job of not succumbing to that or who who might I I guess. Someone that's coming to mind for me is Janai. Because. As soon as she hears the rumors of like, is it ghosts? Is it this? Is it that? She makes a decision that leads to her making, putting things into place, right? Uh, she starts talking to Miana and says, hey, do you trust me? Will you will you do this? And is it that she's not scared or that she is telling herself a different story about her fear? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Janai is a really strong leader. And I think part of being a strong leader is not showing you could be fearful, you could be stressed, you could be scared, whatever. Um, but it's important as a good leader not to show it to the people below you because they look up to you. Um, and so they want, you know, you wanna you have to be strong enough for them. Um, so that they also feel strong and empowered, you know. Um, and I think that's probably, hopefully, maybe what was they were trying to portray for Janai. Yeah, it's interesting though. Like, right? I, I, I think that I think Janai was scared. The difference was that I, I think the story that she told that was visible for us as viewers. Uh, was that that led her to create a a plan that she was able to act upon in a, in a way, right? So yeah. she heard she heard that her people and not just her people, but the humans that were also with her were scared of this this unknown thing that was happening, and she's like, okay, I have this sneaking suspicion that something's coming after the sun seed. And so I'm going to do my best to protect it. Hey, Miana, will you trust me? I think that she's in this moment. We know that she's scared for Amaya, right? Yeah. She's wondering, she's worried where she is. She's really like, but she's not letting that affect her decision making in this moment. Um, And I wonder if it's because the story she's telling herself is that Amaya is really capable I I am I know that I'm scared for her safety and I know that she's probably doing perfectly fine because she's super capable. Yeah. Um, totally. But I wonder if she would have acted very differently if that was not the story she was telling herself about Amaya. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think the fact that Amaya is such a strong character and both of them have been through a lot of scary things you know I think that the the threshold of what they can handle is much higher and the confidence that they have in each other as well I think is very strong and you know they they both believe that they're both really cool amazing fighters and leaders and so I, I think the confidence in each other to be able to handle certain things, I think is much higher than, you know, say if there was a Kim Dale in real life coming to attack me, I think most of my friends would be pretty fearful for me because I don't go through those things, you know. So I feel like uh, 
yeah, they're they're strong warriors, and so it's they're they sh I oh. think they also have to I think um be confident in it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to do their leadership job that they're yeah. doing. You know. So I what you're pointing to here is the value of experience, right? Yeah. And so what I'm what I'm hearing is that having gone through scary things successfully gives us the experience and the capacity to tell ourselves a story that ends differently than it might have been if we didn't have that experience. Yeah. Definitely. That act, does that make sense? Is Did I say yeah. that? <laughs> that's, uh, that's totally what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I that's super interesting though, right? So thinking about your story going from animator to animation supervisor is interesting. You had a different amount of experience. You had an experience with this team and that I wonder if that experience gave you more or less fear because I can think and see how you might have said, oh, I know exactly what they're looking for. And we have a bunch of new animators and ah, but instead you tell yourself a different story and say, okay, I know what they want. That gives me an advantage. And that's how you you phrased it earlier was that you had that experience which gave you more insight and therefore advantage. Um, which is interesting to think about how two people can go down the same path and still tell themselves very different stories around, around things. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. I think, I think um, our, whatever we're thinking, like our brain um, really dictates how we see the world. Right. Obviously. Um, but I think the, the, the narrative that we tell ourselves helps dictate how we, um, what's the word, um, go through life and how we react to things. Um, yeah. So like I had the knowledge of season one, two, and three, and I knew, I learned a lot about what the clients wanted. Um, and that really did help me and a few others from the original crew tackle these episodes. Um, because for everyone else, like even just the show style, it's animated on twos, um, is, very different from other shows. And so new animators coming on had to learn that as well. Um, and so, you know, learning, building your eye for animation also for specific shows um, is very difficult. So if I had that, if I didn't have that experience beforehand, it would have been harder to lead a crew. Yeah. Um, and also just to like touch on like being scared, um, I think there were definitely times where I was leading at this team and, you know, things happen. Nothing ever goes according to plan. Of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. Especially in animation. Um, and I think it was very helpful to try my best not to show the team when things went horribly wrong um, mm. and to just provide solutions instead. Um, keeping the team calm and like their morale high is so important. And it helps them produce the best work that they can and be passionate and excited about um, yeah. the project and whatever they're working on, even if things aren't working. Um, I tried to make 
you know, the experience really fun and exciting and bonding the teams. Um, and I think that's, that's important. Like um, what I was touching on before, like as a good leader, you want to make sure that the people below you are having, are not stressed out about the things that you're stressed out about because they look up to you and they look at you for guidance. And if you're struggling, then they might struggle as well. Yeah. Well, I think what you're pointing to here is the importance. And I think this is what you were hinting at with Janai as well, in terms of like the, the responsibility for how we respond to fear is in like, there's a like culture setting. And um, what I'm hearing you say is that being the supervisor, you felt this responsibility to set a culture in which they felt supported and uh like you could have responded to that fear by going and reacting by blaming them when they messed up and said hey you can't mess this up because this is going to mean x y and z and blah 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 but it sounds like the way you responded was with the intent of creating a culture where the stakes aren't so high right yeah Uh, I, i tried for sure yeah. And of course, you know, who knows whether you accomplish that or not. Right. But that's the goal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, the only way to tell is by talking to your team. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I'm seeing this in the show, too, around culture setting and the importance and, and value of language. And I, I, I see that in two places. One, the very description of Erevos incites fear. Right. Yes. Like Rayla's description at the very beginning of the episode, I I just I am I paused immediately and started typing because I was okay. This just describing Erebos makes him sound so scary, and regardless of its tr- of its truth or not, what it does is the way she said it, the tone of her voice, all of it, like said you should be scared of this. Is <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And. I I wonder how much power that gives Erevos, right? Because mm-hmm. the more people are scared of him, the it changes how people react. It changes how people interact with the idea of him. And I, I sometimes I wonder if cultivating fear is a intentional tactic that is used by people who are evil frankly (laughs) Um, i believe that yeah for sure right Right? and and specifically that's one side of it the other side of it is finnegan who does the same thing right um this is really interesting because vilas starts telling a story of they say when he captures you he flips a coin and then like in like it flips one way it's bad and if it flips another you wished it flipped the other way and (laughs) just the rumors and stories that circulate around Finnegan inspire fear which is i think again a tactic that Finnegan uses to create and cultivate control over his crew and over people in scumport um, okay, I just talked for a lot. Like, how is that resonating with you? Does that seem like, <laughs> does that seem reasonable conclusion? Oh, definitely. I 100% agree. I think half the fear is like imagination. Um, if you've never, let's like, if you've never met, like, say, Erevos or Finnegan, but you hear all these stories, then your imagination runs 
wild, you know, and you build up this narrative that's probably scarier than they actually are. Um, and I think that's, that's what, you know, horror films do, you know, they build up this anticipation where you don't know what this thing looks like, what it actually is, but you hear all these little things that give you a taste of what it could be. And you let your imagination run a little wild and that builds up that fear for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that begs the question is how do we counteract it? Um, and I don't know if I have a good answer, <laughs> uh, but I am curious if there's an example in the show and I, I don't know, but you know, what makes this less powerful? Like, how do we, uh, I, I think about, you know, the goal of this conversation and all of our podcast episodes is to create more insight as to how to respond to these things in our own lives. And so when people are, you know, quote, fear mongering and spreading rumors that are, are really scary and, uh, when people who are sharing like and spreading fear, what counteracts that? And, and I'm I'm curious if anything comes to mind for you from the episode or or not. Yeah, um, I think for um, real life, I think part of it is using a little bit more of your logical brain, um, taking whatever it is at face value versus what your imagination is doing. Um, I think that's really important to try to ground yourself um, and being maybe, um, I don't know, like it's kind of hard. I, I think it's also different for everyone, you know, um, everyone experiences fear and, and then a little bit differently. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering as as you speak and as I, I ruminate on, on this question, I'm I'm wondering about the value of like contextualization um as a as a tool. Um and what I mean by that is uh putting data in the mix. And this is I think kind of what you're speaking to when you talk about the the logical brain. Um, but you know, if I tell myself a story that everyone's going to think this, and that's the fear that I'm grappling with, okay, who is everyone? Like, okay, let's break that down. Who is everyone? Uh, oh, well really just this person. Okay. Have they ever responded that way? Well, no, but, oh, well, hold on. Okay. <laughs> let's think about like, when have you done this? Have you ever done this before? Well, yeah, and how did it go? Actually, it went pretty well. And I just think as we continue to normalize and and go through these contextualization where we actually put ourselves in the moment and ask ourselves, like, what is actually the worst that could happen? Um, we can kind of talk ourselves out of it. But again, as you said, one, that takes time. <laughs> yeah, and, definitely. And two, in the moment, that is really hard to do. Um, and I think that's what you, you had said that, that it's in the moment, it's really difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're in that moment, it's consuming you and you're in your head. And it's important to try to take a step back, get out yeah. of your head and really be in, in real, in reality versus your brain, in your head, you know? 
Yeah. You know who I think does a good job of this in the episode is is Soren. Yes. Oh, he's Uh, great at that. Yeah. Like, like, and it's interesting to think about like, why, why does Soren do really well at this? Um, because, you know, Baitling falls in the water. I think, which one was it? Hat, hat falls in the water. Um, and oh no, Leviathan. And everybody's like, has a different reaction to this Leviathan. And I think it's telling how people respond. Uh, you know, some people are like, oh my God, Leviathan. And then Velos is like, nope, it's just, I, that's, that's, those are the signs of Leviathan, which doesn't, that calmness that Velos exudes is I think stemming from his experience, right? Nope. I know exactly what a Leviathan sounds like and that's what that is. And okay, we're just going to keep moving along. Um, That's the vibe I got from his description and his tone. Um, And then there's Soren who's like, well, Baitling's in the water. I'm going to dive in and save it. (laughs) Um, I would not dive in and save it. (laughs) I'm going to be real. That's terrifying. That is a thing that would eat me um and it's interesting because not only does he just dive in literally head first to save this baitling but this as the leviathan swims away and he gets this rope he looks back and says what do i what do you think i'm not going to taste good um <laughs> and i i'm curious what your take is on this like why is soren so not scared in this moment yeah i i think it has a lot to do with what he was like in the first few seasons he's Mm. he was kind of the um i guess stereotypical big dumb jock you know he just he goes Mm. in heads first into all the action he wants to show that he's the best um he's a good fighter things like that um and throughout the episodes and throughout the seasons he's definitely grown as a character to more than just that you know big dumb jock but he he still has those moments where he's action first and thinks later. Um, and I'm sure that's just how he grew up, you know, so much pressure of being like a great um, fighter, and, you know, protector. And so I think he's very much got that, oh, I'll dive in head first and then I'll think about the consequences later. Um, and he's very like into thrill and action and, yeah. um, you know, things like that. Well, and I think what it's precisely what you're speaking to is really interesting because on the one hand, we have the warriors who are like, oh, well, the unknown. Oh, gosh, what if this happens? And the spiraling of what could happen on one hand of the people who think do too much thinking, perhaps before acting, and then the complete opposite of perhaps quite not thinking enough uh, yeah, yeah. or jumping in literally to almost the gaping maw of a leviathan um and it's just interesting to me to think about like just putting those juxtaposed to one another of how these are the two extremes one jumps in head first without thinking about the consequences and the other extreme thinking about the consequences so much that it's paralyzing and you don't act um at all right like those are that feels like two opposing opposites um and i think what we're learning here is the difference is how much you uh think about 
what the fear will lead to, like what the what mm, the future orientedness of of what the fear is telling you. Um, is that right? Does that seem right to you? Yeah, yeah, and just fear of consequence. I think mm-hmm. the the Soren kind of lacks that, and then most people have too much of that. Yeah. So the question then, as we kind of use these characters to kind of see these extremes, is how do we find that happy middle? How do we find the the balance, so to speak, between letting fear restrict us and not listening to fear enough to the point that our self-preservation is perhaps in question? <laughs> um, I'm I'm curious what the where the balance is and what people who do this really well look like yeah um when you find out let me know (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I mean it's interesting right because I I think that we all kind of oscillate between these two things and some of us spend way more time in the anxiety mode versus the Soren mode is how I'm going to label that um is it's really interesting because I think we all have something to learn from both and figuring out how we can find our own personal balance is something that I think we all can kind of begin to ask the question of, Um, right? Definitely. I I think it's important to have as much of a balance of that as you can, but it's, it's hard, you know, it's, it's probably the biggest thing hurdle in life that I deal with um, is sometimes, you know, they talk about your gut feeling and I always wonder, is it my gut or is it my anxiety? Which one is leading me astray? Which one's leading me correctly? Well, and what's interesting. And I think what is really beautiful about our bodies is that, you know, anxiety is there for a reason, right? It is, uh, doing the work of protecting us and sometimes our our brain intellectually can see something that is causing us anxiety and be like this isn't that scary why are you why are you anxious about it but our body has learned over time that this is a a reaction that protects us right this is something that keeps us safe and so how do we begin to kind of like I'm really grateful and speaking to ourselves, like I'm really grateful for the anxiety that has kept me safe for so long. And I want to give you permission to not feel anxious in this moment because I think we're brave enough to take this on and we're going to be okay. Right? Like how do we begin to like, honor the fact that anxiety did us justice for a long time and kept us safe and not so helpful in this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a big struggle for sure. Yeah. Um, I, 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 if people are interested in resources, uh, I highly recommend checking out, um, Hillary McBride's work. Uh, she is a clinical psychologist, uh, from Canada. Uh, who has done incredible work. Um, and I really appreciate her work. So that's one person I might recommend if people are interested. 
Okay, Nasus, do we have any other moments that we want to talk about around around fear in this episode? Oh, I think there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I think one of the cool things that I thought um, we tried really hard to show um, was when Kimdale enters for the first time and we see all the guards, you know, locking the door. And then you see her come in through the, under the door through the blood. Um, I thought that was really cool. And I, I wanted so badly to make it as scary as we could. Um, and seeing it in like after lighting is just so beautiful. Um, I was very nervous though, because, you know, there's so many, uh like tv show ratings or netflix ratings where you know you have to make sure that it's for the correct age audience um and this episode was you know you see her stabbing guards you literally see her claws come through the other end of a guard's stomach and i was really nervous that this wasn't gonna air i was like oh is, is netflix gonna be okay with they this um, yeah. <laughs> no but they they let it through i'm so happy um it's such a cool Scene. you know I I think it's very scary um and it was probably the darkest thing I'd ever worked on it's, dark. Um, it's really cool it's, it's dark. really dark <laughs> yeah I, I I think I think what scares me the most is that I and this goes back to this fear of the unknown I think is that I I don't know what she can do what she's capable of and I don't think it's very clear that these guards have never seen anything like this in combat. Um, and they are just like literally incapable of doing anything in response to how she fights. And I, and I think that that's terrifying, right? The fact that, you know, you know what this is really reminding me of, it's reminding me (laughs) of just the ocean arcanum which is accepting that there are things that we'll never know, right? That is so deep that there is so much that we'll just never be able to control it. Um, More on that next episode. Uh, But I, I, I think that this is really reminding me of like how awe inspiring the, the, the ocean is and how just because of there's there's just so much that we'll never know um it's all to think about kimdale and and what she's capable of you know totally and i think also the something that's comforting for people is being able to prepare and if you don't know what you're preparing for then you can't prepare so like these guards didn't know what they were up against they they don't know if it was human, if it was an elf, it was a monster. But they didn't know anything. So how do you prepare for something like that? They didn't even know how big she was, you know. So I wouldn't know how to. I would not want to be in their shoes for sure. Well, and I think it's really interesting to think about how, like, for some people, it's really paralyzing to just get up in the morning because of, oh gosh, if I wake up and go outside like a comment could drop at any moment. Like they're, they're like the, the possibility of what might happen 
versus the logic of like, no, that's very unlikely. And, you know, you can talk yourself out of anything, but there are, you can also talk yourself into anything. And it's just interesting to me, like some people really struggle to just get up out of the bed because of how paralyzing the unknown can be. And then some people have no mind of it. And again, it's this weird, like, again, balance between I want to be realistic and know what could go wrong so that I could do my best to plan around it. But I also want to balance the the idea that I will never be able to plan for everything, for every possible thing that could go wrong. I can't rain plan everything. Um, so how do I learn to live with this unknown that is always going to exist in my life? Um, and that brings in the ocean arcanum. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's big, big, scary. And, you know, J- Janai, oh, Could you try- Siri's joining us in the conversation. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm, Janai's really interesting in this because Janai sees Kendall and is not scared. Or if she is, she is certainly incredibly capable in this moment, right? Where she yeah. is fighting better and more readily than any of the guards right she is and i don't know if that speaks because i don't know if that's literally because she's more powerful or if that's because she just have it has a different mindset going into this fight um but it's really interesting to think about how she's more comfortable with the unknown here it seems like and i part of me wonders is that one of the reasons that she is queen <laughs> is that she's in a leadership position. Um, I don't know. I, I think so. Definitely. I think um, it's definitely important to have those attributes as a leader, as a good leader, at least. Um, and that's probably why she, we had to portray her that way because we want to portray Janai as someone who is a very good and strong leader. Yeah. It's interesting, right? I think that she is, you know, the the royal family, right, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 interesting to to beg. It, does this beg the question around? Was this teachable? Was she taught this mindset because of her station, or was it her station that taught her this mindset? Um. And I don't have an answer. I don't know. Um, but it's it's interesting. To, and it, maybe it's a combination of both. But it's interesting that no one leading up to this could do anything about Kimdale until Janai. Right? Yeah. Uh, and it just begs the question, why? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a I don't have a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have a, an answer either, um, but I do have thoughts about it. I I think it, you definitely mentioned whether it was how she was raised or if it's her experiences. I think it's a little bit of both. And I think it's also some people have that leadership in them. Like, I think it's the nurture versus nature type thing. I, I think some people are just really good at being a leader 
Um, not to say that you can't become one, but yeah. some yeah, people just innately really good at it, you know, and I think Janai is probably one of them. Yeah. I think that, you know, leadership is rooted in skills just like any other thing. And I think that some people pick up on those skills just as easily or as you picked up art, right? You know, yeah. some might say that you are, you and you are and have been an artist, um, but you've been cultivating those skills and working on them for a long, long time. And I think that Janai was maybe, you know, proficient in some of these skills early on because of her station and because of the way that she was raised and she's been working on them for a long, long time. And therefore she's better and good at, at this, this quote leadership, so to speak. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about all of, all of this for sure. Okay. I, uh, want to, be mindful of time and, and, and note that we are working our way, working our way downtown. Uh, <laughs> and I would love to give our listeners a little, uh, a little musical break and we'll come back shortly to dive into our final couple of segments. everyone welcome back we're glad that you're still with us listening to an incredible episode with myself and nasus lee uh we are here for our final couple of segments we're about to dive into our sacred practice for this episode and we are introducing the wonder square and the wonder square is a really neat uh, practice that was introduced to me in my uh, graduate education in divinity school. And it is a practice that helps us dive more deeply into a particular text, in this case, the Dragon Prince. And we're going to use this practice to dive more deeply into a random line, random quote from this episode. And so before this, I stopped my button on a random time. And of course, this is the line that we chose. Uh, he took their wind away, uh, which is a really interesting line, if I do say so myself. That's and a so, good line. Right? Isn't it good? Um, yeah. So what this practice asks of us is to think about it in this line from four different perspectives. What does this line make us think? What does it make us feel? What does it make us want to do? What is it calling us to do? And then finally, what, what are the lingering questions? What is it making us wonder? And typically when you do this, it's in a two by two grid where you have think, feel, do, wonder in, in each of those squares. Uh, but instead, we're going to do it in the audio version, which is going through it one by one. <laughs> uh, and we're just going to do it in a step by step fashion. So, Nasus, are you ready to, to embark on the journey of the Wonder Square? I'm ready. 
All right, we're going to start first with think. So I'm going to read the line one more time. And this is, what does it make you think of in terms of literally, it can be about the show, it can be about your personal life, it can be about a random story, just what does it make you think of uh, in or out of context? Here's the line. He took their wind away. I think that line is so cool. Um, I, when I first got the episode, I watched it and I watched that line specifically a few times because I didn't understand what was happening at first. Um, and as the, the crew as well, besides Rayla, I don't think anyone understood what happened and what Callum was doing. Um, so I think that's really cool that Rayla is the one to catch on on what he was doing. Yeah, you're you make a good point. We forgot to like what where does this line come from? And you've just given us the 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 context, which is this is Rayla telling everybody on the ruthless what Callum did after he does this spell and takes in this big breath. He steals the wind from from Finnegan's ship. Um thank you for contextualizing that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so thinking about how Rayla was the first one to be able to notice and have that insight into Callum um, when everybody else was like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. You, you know what? I'm like, it, it, it is still a sea metaphor, a, a ship metaphor. But I, I think about like the the wind beneath the sails literally being taken away from somebody and how that's a metaphor for uh, taking the the inspiration or taking the motivation away from somebody as well. And it's, so it's making me think about how like Callum has the potential to take people's motivation in this way. Right. It, it, it's a, it's an interesting thought to be like, if I were to say that like he took their wind away to someone outside of the dragon prince context, it would be a metaphor perhaps for he took the, their energy, their willingness to try. Um, and there's a lot of ways to accomplish that, which is an interesting thought. Um, yeah, I think that line is so powerful in many ways. Um, it's such a simple to the point line, but it yeah. has, I, th I think it has a lot of meaning as well. Yeah. Okay, so we are, I, I think we could probably spend a lot of time continuing to say what else it makes us think of. But that's step one. We, we've kind of got an understanding of, of what's coming to mind for us when we think of this line. And so step two, we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper here into what is this making us feel like physically in our bodies? What does this line make us feel? But also what emotions bubble to the surface as you think of this line? And I'll, I'll read it one more time. He took their wind away. Yeah. Um... I think if if the audience, if you go to that timestamp and you watch it and you listen to how Rayla delivered that line, it's really cool. I think it's not just her stating what he did, but she's also realizing what it is that he did. And it's incredible because he's he's pretty new to magic, you know, um, and he did this incredible thing. He took the wind away from a really big ship and he did something on the fly to try to save them. Um, and so just her realizing what it is that he did, I think she was 
impressed. She was shocked. She was amazed. And it's just really cool. Um, so I, I love the way that she delivered that line. I think it makes me feel, I, I just think it was so, so well done. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing all perhaps from you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it like because it's there's there's two. It's kind of two sided. Like this line from Rayla, it feels observable that she was also in awe, right? Yeah, uh, of Callum. But for you, the way that she delivered the line also inspired awe in you, which is a, a really neat kind of meta experience of of the same emotion, right? Yeah. Uh, super cool um yeah I I think when I was watching this I had a little I was I I paused because I wasn't sure what emotion I sensed from Rayla I was it for me it almost sounded like 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 sadness or or grief um and I don't, I don't know that I would stand by that now, but when I first heard it, I was like, I wonder if it was almost like the feeling of solidarity. Like I know how much that took out of him. And part of me is, is scared for what he is doing to himself or had, you know what I mean? Like for, yeah, yeah. and so part of me, as I, as I think about this and, and, sink into what it feels like for me to to hear this line is wow there's a lot of power here and it makes me nervous that Callum has this much power and he for for someone who's so young has to deal with the responsibility of having that power it just makes me feel like I just I wish he didn't have to have this much power to have to you know make these decisions that are so intense like that's a that's a big deal I guess yeah so. I can I can definitely see that for sure um like you know Rayla cares so much about Callum um I I totally agree I can see how she's not just in awe but also concerned for because he's also um winded I guess from taking their wind he's panting he's tired you know it it took a toll on him physically for sure yeah it's just like it's a very different toll than that initial like dark magic experience that he had where he went under but like I wonder if that is coloring her her read of this moment where she saw him when he's gone too far and this was close um (laughs) you know it just is it's a lot and I, you know, I wish he didn't have to <laughs> do do so much in order to to stay safe, even yeah. if it was in vain. You know, yikes. Yeah, and I'm sure also, um, it kind of feels and sounds like you know Rayla felt maybe helpless as well because yeah. there's nothing she could do, um, and she's relying on this human to save them. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Okay, so we we're nailing it so far. We got two steps down. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so there, the next step is when we hear this line. What is it asking of us? What is it uh, 
what does it want us to do in our everyday lives? Is it, is it asking us to change our behavior? Is it asking us to, um, to be more mindful of something? What is it asking us to do? And so here we go. He took their wind away. Um, that's a good question. I guess off the top of my head, um, when I think about this scene, you know, Callum, Callum just acted, you know, he, he, I don't even, I think it goes back to the no fear of consequences. He just did it because he knew he had to do something to save their ship and their crew. And he, he just acted. Um, and I don't know if he knew the consequences that it would take on his body and, um, to do such a big action, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, am I hearing from you that you're, I'm hearing that you're noticing that from Callum, but I'm, I'm curious, is that calling on you to be like Callum or is it calling on you to, to do something differently? What's, what's the action for you that it's, it's asking? It definitely makes me think about, you know, times when I need to act quickly, um, for the good of, everyone else around me. Um, it's not something that I practice very often. Um, and I think it's pretty admirable for Callum to have done that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if this line particularly makes me feel like I want to do something. Um, but it definitely makes me think about it a lot. Well, even if, even if the action is, I want to reflect more on, (laughs) uh, these times where, Thing is asked of me quickly right like yeah. I wonder if even that that is enough I think in terms of the ask yeah for for okay. me I'm when I hear this line what is it asking of me to do is be mindful of when I'm doing this intentionally versus unintentionally right Callum makes the intentional decision to take the wind from (laughs) from this guy's sails um but i i also wonder around how this can happen unintentionally and like i took their wind away right oh i didn't mean to do that that was not my intention um and i i know that there are times when i have done things or said something that metaphorically took the wind from from beneath the sails and uh, of people that I I care deeply about and so I think what it's asking of me is to pay attention to you know how I'm interacting with the people around me am I you know blowing wind into the sails of the people that I care about or am I taking people's wind, whether that's because I'm fear-mongering and to, to be on theme or whether it's because of something else. So yeah, I guess I I, I want to be someone that doesn't take people's wind away. <laughs> yeah. That's that's really interesting to think about for sure. I I also definitely would not want to take the wind away from people. I want to yeah. give them wind and I want to be the wind beneath people's wings. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm going to refrain from singing, but... (laughs) um, Okay, that brings us to our final step of this sacred practice, which is wonder. What does this question, or what does this uh, quote 
make us wonder what are the lingering questions. And so for the final time, here is the, the line. He took their wind away. I, yeah, I, I want to, I kind of want to know more about, like, had Callum known about this? Like, how, how did he come up with this? You know, I wonder, like, yeah, how did he think about taking the wind? Like, that would never cross my mind yeah. to stop a, a, a ship, you know? Um, so that's such a unique tactic that I think is really interesting. Yeah. I think that's that's a great question. I, I, I had a similar vein, a similar thought is I'm really curious if Callum knew how taxing this spell would be on him and on his body. Um, because it's clear that it was a lot, right? Like he is yeah. huffing for a hot minute after this. And so I like I wonder if he realized or knew it would it would cost him as much as it did. Um that's a, a lingering question of mine, I think. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Okay, so we have successfully kind of moved through all all four of this these these quadrants that are involved in the Wonder Square, um, and so we. I, I really love doing practices like this because it just gives us. This is one line, right, in this you know twenty two minute episode and we could have picked any of them and my experience is that even the the lines that are perhaps not as intense as this one still provide so much insight into this moment or the moment that is chosen and so I'm I'm really grateful Nasus that you were willing to kind of to to go on this journey with me and 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 tap into a deep dive on this line yeah this was this was a really cool exercise I really enjoyed it amazing well that brings us to our final segment which is one of my favorite things that we do on the show which is gratitude uh we like to pick a character from the episode that we are thankful for and share why and this can be a, a meta reason or it can be for something that they do for another character there's all kinds of reasons you can be grateful for characters and so i'm gonna i'm gonna toss it to you who is the character from this episode that you are thankful for and why yeah i i gave this question some thought i was gonna say kimdale because she's one of my favorite characters but i think this one has to go to soren I think he was so cool this episode. He was so sweet to the Baitlings. He got attached to Hats. Um, yeah. He dove in and saved Hats, and he didn't even think about it. And his willingness to sacrifice himself for his friends is really admirable. And I love seeing him grow as a character all the way from season one till you know future episodes. He's he's really got. What a huge character arc and I think it's amazing that they chose him to be the one that goes from you know the, the mean bully to someone very dear to the crew yeah yeah I do love Soren <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and Jesse just does a remarkable job oh, amazing yeah I'm just I'm really grateful for for that as well I I'm Okay, so I'm really grateful, and I think this is partially because of you, um, but I'm really grateful for Rayla. Uh, 
this this line that we dived into more deeply with the wonder square your reaction to that and your description of Rayla and the emotions that she was feeling and and things along those lines were really insightful for me and so I, I I see her in a different light and I really just appreciate how caring she is for yeah. for Caleb and that she in just one line can communicate that so well um and so I, I I'm really thankful for Rayla and for the care that is so evident that she's willing to kind of just be open and honest and vulnerable with how much she cares for Callum um so I, I really appreciate that about her and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Well, that's so nice. Yeah. I, she's such a great character. Yeah. They're all great. They're all great. <laughs> I think the writing in this show is phenomenal. And I, I think there's so much good in every character, whether it's because they're a villain or a protagonist and they're just so written so well. I feel like they are real you know, living, breathing characters. It's very cool. Big shout out to the writing team for definitely continuously blowing us away. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Nasus, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. And I'm really grateful that we I've gotten to meet you and that we've been able to kind of get your voice out there to, you know, be a part of this podcast experience. I'm 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 so thankful that you were willing to do this with me. Thank you for inviting me. This was super fun. This was my first podcast ever. Um, yeah. And it's so exciting. I was so excited and so happy. So, and I, I have so much love for the show, but specifically this episode is one of my favorites to this yeah. day. And I was so happy that I got to be able to talk about it. Amazing. Well, if people wanted to find you to continue the conversation, uh, how would you want them to find you? Yeah, um, on all social media, I am Nasus Lee, so just look me up. Um, yeah, you can find me there, reach out. I love talking to people. Um, it's great. I love I love people who are passionate about things that I work on. Amazing. Yeah, I highly recommend reaching out. Clearly, Nasus is very generous with their time, so <laughs> check her out. Uh, you can find her at Nasus Lee, and you can find us at bnb underscore pod uh we have all the things and i especially recommend checking us out on patreon and supporting us uh we have a live episode every month and you can join us for that uh with us and be a part of the conversation and there's also lots of tiers that you can sign up for and and i just recommend checking it out and and even if you can't support us financially uh, if you can't do that, I highly recommend writing a review on Apple Podcasts, just sharing it out, letting us know, supporting us. Really would appreciate any sort of interaction. And of course, listening is always uh, enough, but this is just if you want to go that extra mile. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of Bending Not Breaking and the Dragon Pod. And Nasus, thank you so much. Uh, for being here once more. And until next time, everyone, be well and do good. <laughs>